Welcome to Pondering AI. I'm your host, Kimberly Nevila, and I want to thank you for joining us as we consider the reality of AI with a diverse group of innovators, advocates, and data professionals. I'm so excited today to be joined by Henrik Setra. Henrik joins us to discuss the interplay between AI, SDG, and ESG. And not to worry, we are going to define all those acronyms. But he is the head of the Digital Society and an associate professor at Austell University College. As a political theorist, he focuses on the political, ethical, and social implications of technology. So this is sure to be a mind-opening discussion. Thank you for joining us, Henrik. Uh, thank you so much for having me. I look forward to this. So, Henrik, tell us how your current interest in the sustainability impacts of AI has come about. Ah, that's a good question. Um, well, you, you mentioned kind of my background is in political philosophy, right? So it doesn't automatically make sense that I'm doing <laughs> work on sustainability and AI. Uh, but I've been working a lot on environmental ethics previously. So I kind of had courses, developed courses on politics and environmental ethics, for example, politics and environment. So that's been part of my background and sort of the ethics background. Uh, then a couple of years ago, I started kind of combining an old interest in programming and technology with the work I do in political philosophy. So I started working using the theories and the frameworks from political philosophy to better understand the impacts of technology. So that was kind of a fruitful marriage of two previously very separate interests. But then I've also kind of worked as a sustainability consultant. So I was in KPMG for a couple of years, worked a lot of ESG advisory-related things. And that also kind of opened up new ways to approach the business side of things that I have, hadn't had that much of before. So it's been a marriage of three different things, I think, the environmental ethics, the political philosophy, and then also kind of the sustainability consulting work. I'm finding that a lot of folks in this space are pulling together these very diverse backgrounds and working at the intersection of them. And that's where a lot of these really interesting perspectives and, and helpful perspectives have come about. Hmm. So perhaps before we jump into some of the SDG discussion or ESG, uh, we can start off a little, a little philosophically. Hmm. As you know, a lot of these AI techniques and especially things like machine learning, deep learning, they thrive on homogeny. They thrive on sameness. So the more frequent and consistent a pattern, whether that's what we buy, how we socialize, how we write, uh, the better able an algorithm is to detect it, to model it, to make accurate predictions about what comes next. And yep, this can be a, a source of great efficiency, can be very useful. It can also promote or nudge us towards a level of conformity that's a little uncomfortable and, and maybe undesirable and sometimes narrows or restricts our viewpoints, our perspectives, even our individuality. You had some really interesting research and, and you made this statement and I actually wrote it down verbatim because I thought it was just so striking. You said an over-reliance on a machine-like approach to science limits human experience, uh, which I think is a similar point, but I think a, a bit broader than, than what I started with. So can you tell us a little bit about the thinking behind that and what the real ramifications of this, this limitation are? Ah, perfect. I love that you picked up on that. I love talking about those kinds of aspects. I think that some parts of human life can easily be datafied and turned into data, quantified, kind of measured, put into these machine learning algorithms and be used to predict and guide us and understand society better, right? So we use variables everywhere to understand the world, to collect data, search for patterns, 
But not everything is translatable into data, I think. So that's where, what I'm getting at in kind of what's, what they do in phenomenology, working with human experience. How does it feel walking around the woods, kind of meeting the gaze of someone interesting, for example, those kinds of things, those kinds of aspects of being human is relatively easily lost once we kind of get into this dealing only with what can be measured, right? So mm. we kind of end up measuring behavior. We kind of end up observing behavior, measuring behavior. And without really noticing, we often come proceed from that into kind of thinking that everything is behavior. <laughs> everything, kind of only what can be measured matters in a sense. So I think we get into this kind of behavioralism in a sense that a lot of critics of uh, Zuboff and surveillance capitalism, for example, she kind of pulls on that behaviorism uh, as it's kind of a problem with this approach, but also kind of Arthur Kostler and Maslow and a lot of old philosophers and psychologists, for example, as well, that kind of stress the dangers of only relying on that which can be quantifiable because we end up reducing humans to something less than human. I kind of argue at least or warn against when we start seeing ourselves as some kind of machine in this process that we end up making machines that mimic ourselves and then we kind of try to understand ourselves through how we make machines and then we we end up reducing ourselves to some kind of machine and that's basically only behavior and not that much of these kind of experiences and uh, drama and uh, kind of strange stuff that's a very big part of what what it is to be human. Some of the goodness is in the messiness, right, of our Definitely. human interactions and, yeah. and interplay. Definitely. So I think that relates also to kind of how kind of efforts to use AI to kind of perfect politics, for example, is kind of subject to the same kind of fallacy, I think, because a lot of the efficiency in democracies, for example, is just in this messiness and this kind of muddling through. That's often a part of what it means to be human, I think. Are there particular applications or areas today? You mentioned some, some a little bit of politics or there, I, I could think of areas in education in particular where some of what we're pursuing today in the AI field feels particularly, I don't know if it's concerning or particularly dangerous or could be if, if pursued incorrectly. Yeah, I think a lot of the efforts in, uh, it's interesting, a lot of the efforts used to kind of try to have AI therapists, for example, if you go into that <laughs> area, for example, where you start to say, ah, oh, ChatGP3 is pretty good at answering questions. It's pretty good at kind of understanding input. It can generate get a pretty useful answers, for example. So kind of going from there into kind of having AI try to solve our problems, for example, and deal with our psyche and deal with those kinds of issues. I think that's one area of kind of obvious concern. But also the more the more general efforts to kind of gather data on us and try to understand us and guide us by various actors in different aspects, I guess. So it's pretty much everywhere, but there are some areas, of course, that's more problematic than others. And I'd point to kind of vulnerable groups, children, those that kind of have less kind of capacity to resist these efforts and the potential dangers because AI literate people or highly educated people will often be kind of more better able to resist some sort of kind of influence of AI, if you want to call it that. Yeah. Well, I I often, I feel like I'm probably on a very small island with a very small group, but I find it rather creepy. I don't enjoy interacting with a chatbot that sounds like a human or even, you know, robots that look very humanoid Mm. if there's not a reason for them to do so. And in most cases, I don't think it is. And, And so I don't know if that's just me, but I have a very sort of gut level negative reaction. I think I'd rather, to some extent, have something that's a little, I don't know if mechanical is the right word, but, you know, whether that's in form or in in sort of in the function and the output, but perhaps that's me also 
trying to push back against our innate tendency to to anthropomorphize yeah. everything. I think it's really interesting because there's really different approaches to this. I was at a faculty meeting before and people were all like, we have to embrace this, we have to embrace ChatGPT, give it to the students and we have to use it. So there's a lot of kind of hallelujah mood out there, but there are also definitely skeptics there. And I, I very much agree with you. That makes sense to kind of try at least to resist a bit. Yeah. So mm. <laughs> we'll see. Mm. A soft resistance anyway. <laughs> yeah. Now, kind of turning back to the work in fact, you wrote your book last year, I believe it was, on AI and the sustainable development goals. So let's talk a little bit about that. But perhaps you can give those of us who are familiar with or have heard the term SDG or sustainable development goals, but don't have you know cause to run up against it or work with it on a daily basis, a mm. little bit of a primer about what the SDGs are and what they're purpose was. Sure. Sustainable development goals. It's kind of, it's the UN sustainable development goals is usually referred to as. Uh, it's built under this concept of sustainable development, where we have this three dimensions of sustainable development, which is the social, the environmental, and the economic. And uh, the sustainable development goals builds directly on that framework, and it kind of uh, supersedes uh, the millennium goals that came before them. But there are six, uh, 17 goals here that deals with different issues related to these three dimensions. So they're relatively high level and intuitive in terms of the, the headlines for these different goals that kind of reduce inequality, eradicate poverty, all this kind of peace and prosperity. So it's, it sounds like these really obvious things. But then mm-hmm. each of these goals have a number of targets as well. So we have 169 specific targets that sorted under these 17 goals. That kind of operationalizes in a bit more detail. What is it that the world wants us to do, kind of to deal with in this short to medium term, which is up until 2030? Because these goals are kind of the global goals for the period of 2015 to 2030, by which time we'll most likely need some new goals, which is already kind of being prepared and in preparation. But these are goals that are kind of, there's broad political unanimity related to kind of, these are goals that's important to businesses, to politicians, to states, to regions, to everyone. And that also means that there's some compromise here. So kind of democracy, for example, LGBTQ plus issues, for example, some of these concepts as controversial, some places in the world are kind of relatively toned down in this framework, for example. So we'll get back to that, I guess, and pros and cons, but that's a very broad background. These are the kind of political goals, but also very much kind of aimed at usefulness for businesses and markets as well. And it's increasingly been used by almost everyone that communicates something related to their sustainability-related efforts. So if we think about applying or using the SDGs in the context of AI, what are we really talking about? Are we talking about using those to identify or prioritize the problems we should apply AI to? Or are we talking about using those because they do reference, you know, things like safeguarding basic human rights and agency and some of those components, the environment, using AI to influence or vet the design of our solutions Hmm. or something entirely different? Yeah, that's a good question. And I'd say both. (laughs) I think uh, kind of it's it's very useful for us. Uh, Kind of I've written about can we use the SDGs to evaluate our impact on the world? 
how does our activities as a company, uh, usually as a company, then kind of impact the different sort of sustainability related dimensions and goals. So it's kind of useful for us to get in this kind of headlines or these keywords that helps us identify potential issues, uh, positive and negative related to our activities. So I think it's useful in the sense that if you just said that we'll have an ethical audit of our activities, for example, that's in, that's exceedingly broad. So in terms of business and kind of for many stakeholders, I think it's very useful because you get this very kind of pointed, but not too many areas in which to kind of we can evaluate our impacts and our potential to contribute positively and negatively. But definitely also for developing things and for finding avenues for potential impact of technology, for example. Because in this framework, it's very obvious that uh, the UN and the authors of these goals and the sustainable development, kind of the report, our common future way back, they're very positive towards technology. And they, they truly believe that technology has the potential and is a necessary component for achieving sustainable development. So there is a lot of techno-optimism here. So it's also useful in that sense for kind of developing and identifying areas. I might be a bit more skeptic to kind of whether it's enough, but uh, still, it's. I think it's useful also for development, but mainly for identifying opportunities, I think, and focusing attention on the goals that the global community of both states and companies are interested in and concerned about. So that also kind of funnels attention towards kind of where the market's at, for example, as well. So in terms of deep and detailed design options, I think they're not that useful, but in terms of kind of identifying where where attention is and where the funds are and where kind of what a market is concerned with, I think it's useful. Are there examples you can share of, of where they've been applied in that way and, and help to guide folks towards problems that they are now pursuing with AI? Yeah, I think an obvious example would be kind of climate action. So it's SDG 13, for example, right, which is about mitigating and adapting to climate change. And I wouldn't say that kind of necessarily the SDGs are the cause for this, but we're seeing a lot of different AI applications and startups and also relatively short technologies kind of aimed at providing different sorts of solutions for understanding um, our climate-related impacts, mitigating impacts, um, different approaches to, for example, using AI for better carbon capture and storage solutions, but all across all industries as well. So I think, but you also see kind of all the big consultancies are providing this AI for climate uh, mm -hmm. kind of sites and kind of uh, marketing materials on their websites. And you also see all the major actors like Microsoft and Google and all these are also kind of developing their sustainability cloud, Microsoft, for example, and all these kinds of different things. So that's just one area where we see it's very obvious that we are deeply concerned about kind of uh, what's happening with the climate. And AI is really being used in a lot of different ways to target these challenges. But that's just one, yeah. And that's an interesting area because uh, we had the opportunity also to talk to some folks previously about, you know, AI to be used to enable sustainability and sustainability initiatives. And at the same time, there is certainly a lot of, I think, appropriate criticism that AI today is not in and of itself particularly sustainable. Mm -hmm. No, no, definitely. And you have to, it's also this, uh, whenever you use AI to promote uh, climate change mitigation, for example, you, of course, have to kind of account for the climate impact of AI itself. But the work I'm doing now is relatively suggestive of that 
once uh, kind of the ICT sector is not insignificant and it's expected to grow, but in comparison to kind of kind of concrete and buildings and construction and all these things, if AI can make a relatively small kind of contribution to emission reductions in those sectors, we can accept a relatively sizable increase in emissions from AI. But you have to account for it, right? You have to understand the climate impact of it. So those those areas are interesting. But also then you have all the other sorts of AI used for identifying faces and making profile pictures and all that kind of non-positive, not necessarily stuff. That's a lot of the emissions and negative impact as well. Yeah. Well, and that environmental example is is a good one just to always remind us as well that this isn't a zero-sum game and there are always trade-offs, right, when we're dealing with yeah. uh, applications, AI and otherwise, really, but but AI in, in particular these days. Hmm. There's no easy answer. Sometimes it really is just both and. Yeah. Yeah, usually. And that's kind of the case in my book on the SDGs as well, because I kind of find, or at least I haven't find, but discover kind of discuss a lot of the positive potential that for AI to kind of contribute to better health, to better education, all these things, while at the same time presenting new challenges. Uh, so very often you have this kind of potential for AI to contribute to individual benefits. You could get better education, you could get better health through different sorts of AI applications. Mm-hmm. But the major problems often come at kind of group level and societal level where we get differences between groups, those who have access to and those who don't. And, for example, when you have bias systems that works better for some people than others, for example. So you get this kind of complex picture of different levels of impacts where you might have positive impact on some level and negative distributional impacts, for example. Interesting. So are there examples you can share of some of those new emerging risks that you've identified in the book and, and through your ongoing work? Yeah, I think kind of most people working on AI would say that these aren't that new. But uh, I think a lot of what I focus on is kind of the distributional and power related issues related to, for example, if you say kind of AI in education, that's an obvious example where you have the potential to really, not not chat GPT, but that's kind of an example that people can easily understand. So if you develop some sort of educational system where a teacher uses this in a good way and kind of in a critical way, then this could potentially be beneficial for a lot of students. Uh, but then you also have this kind of who has the infrastructure to develop these things and is this accessible, for example, for children in Africa, these sorts of issues, or is this primarily being kind of available and developed by uh, which Western countries in China, for example, that have access to it. In that sense, you get this kind of concentration of power and kind of of the kind of profits from these sorts of solutions, but also they're also made more effective for the population in certain parts of the world. And the SDGs is very kind of explicit on this kind of need for local and re, uh, kind of regional development and com- competencies and infrastructure and this affordable and equitable access to infrastructure and new technologies. So technology transfer, and particularly what I focus on, which is perhaps most novel, is the kind of the need for this political aspect related to AI that becomes very obvious as soon as you deal with the SDGs, where you see that, okay, technology can bring a lot of benefits, but it really, really depends on controversial and tough and kind of some sometimes unlikely political will and action. So that's where I think we need a lot of effort and focus. And, and where today do you see our ability to exert our collective political will and even just to focus on, on common issues? Uh, where is that going well? And where do we need to build maybe a little more of the, I don't know if infrastructure is the right word around when we're talking politics, but better, you know, collaborations and 
Yeah. I don't know. What word, what word would you use to affect this? Yeah, yeah. I think that's, that's a really important point. I think that relates to kind of the societal control of technology. And that also relates to kind of one of my key issues would most likely be that it's really important that we don't just develop technology and then go searching for problems to solve with it, right? But that we really have this discussion first. That what, what do we really want? What are our values as a society? Where do we want to go? And then we can kind of see, okay, what sort of technology would enable us or kind of promote this sort of development. But that requires relatively a very high level of competency and foresight on the democratic uh, engagement side, but especially politicians and regulators, right? They really need to understand these technologies and engage actively with them. And yeah, the regulators and kind of the domain of law is really crucial. And I think there's it's a problem when the technology sector has most of this competency and has really tight ties and a lot of effort spent on lobbying efforts, for example, towards regulators and politicians, creates this sort of imbalance that could be problematic because that, that they are tend to be most interested in kind of efforts to self-regulate and kind of having an ethical checklist and saying, we're ethical, kind of keep your hands off, mm-hmm. we're doing good, we can deal with this ourselves. But I think uh, we don't see that much democratic engagement in these sorts of processes. And we're seeing efforts around the world. Of course, in the EU, for example, we see the AI Act, the Digital Services Act, for example. But all that's also relatively technocratic if you want to kind of look mm-hmm. at how does this come about. It's not really through grassroots movements and stakeholder engagement and involvement, right? It's kind of... So I think that's an area of really huge importance, which means we need AI literacy and we need to focus more on kind of democracy, kind of how to to revitalize and make it relevant in a new sense. Tell me if I'm thinking about this the right way. When we think about this, I could see that organizations could potentially go down a, with good intent, I'm I'm going to assume good intent, go down a path of Assuming that AI to support or that is supportive of the SDGs or just more global philosophies are by definition only those applications that they would categorize as AI for good, Mm -hmm. things that are specifically applications or programs that they've intended to promote, support, extend, you know, maybe social or environmental justice. And that strikes me as perhaps a limiting too limiting viewpoint because it allows us to then not be thoughtful about how do we deploy, maybe it's an educational application or a chatbot that's intended to, whether they do this properly or not, you know, expand access Mm. to knowledge, to not necessarily think about how does this play out or or what's the accessibility worldwide if it's not under Mm -hmm. explicitly the banner of something that is a quote unquote AI for good initiative. Mm. Yeah, that, I think that's a really, really good point. And that's also something I kind of write a lot about because you have this isolationist approach to the analysis of technology that deals with kind of, we have this new product, it has this kind of, what are the implications of this product in particular related to, for example, these individuals. And then it could definitely show that there's huge potential for good here. So we label this AI for good and we say, this is SDG4, this is good education, AI for good education, and we're done, Right. So I definitely agree that there's a danger in that and that we need what's called kind of an integrated or more holistic analysis of this 
different ramifications and how these systems are part of this socio-technical system that's much broader than each different application and each different system. So I definitely share that concern and a lot of what's being done, both in sustainability world in general, with kind of greenwashing and this kind of just putting all these colorful boxes of the SDGs right on websites and saying, we're doing good. It's really yeah. easy to abuse them as well. So I really share that concern. And I think it's really important to kind of get that another level of analysis in whenever we talk about, is this a good solution? And kind of force attention to this sorts of different evaluations. What are the questions we have to ask if we say that this is AI for good, AI for education, for example? And that's what I try to do in that book. I have this list of questions, kind of pros. Can we say that this is a good thing for education? If it does this, 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 yes, sure. Then you can check some of these boxes, but you also have to answer the critical questions on the other side of that box, which are, does this apply equally to all these accessible for groups, these different questions. So I think it's really important what you say there. And it's far too easy to kind of abuse this and just use it for greenwashing if you want to in a, in a broader sense. And that probably brings us to a, a good time to bring in the concept of ESG, environmental social governance. And there's, as you just alluded to, quite a lot of discussion now about boards and, and looking, again, this looks at metrics that, that look good, but might not actually have a whole lot of substance behind the number mm. in greenwashing. But if we're thinking about organizations coming up with some of these AI-enabled applications, and there, there's a lot of discussion now, too, about whether you know we think about AI you know, globally or broadly in terms of principle, but it has to be implemented locally to, you know, meet the norms and the customs and, and meet different communities where they're at, if you will. And maybe it's in terms of accessibility or technology or literacy mm -hmm. or whatever that may be. Again, good intent, it seems, based on what we just said, that could be a way for us to kind of give ourselves a way out, right, of having to address broader issues, particularly with digital technologies that are so scalable and can really go almost anywhere. But it also begs, I think, a question of whether corporations, whether they're big or small, should be expected to be social agents. Is that an appropriate mm -hmm. expectation? Is that something that we should be pushing? Yeah, no, I, I think we shouldn't. Definitely shouldn't. I think history has taught us a lot. And I'm reading Thomas Hobbes and Machiavelli and all these things from kind of political theory. My view of human nature is relatively skeptical. So I'd kind of support Adam Smith and these people, like Friedman Doctrine, for example, that says kind of corporations are in it to win and kind of to gain something from it, mm -hmm. to kind of satisfy their ambitions in order to grow, for example. So I think even if I might wish for kind of a situation in which we expect them to be ethical in a broader sense. I, th I think we can't expect them to. We should design our systems to be foolproof, even if we might want to, of course, both mm -hmm. applaud and wish for these things. I think we have to kind of set the bar uh, so that our regulation forces the behavior we want to. So that if we kind of make good regulations, we can try to achieve the kind of goal of Adam Smith, which was that uh, the baker does good, not from the goodness of his heart, right? But because he wants to make money, right? But because if our institutions and our regulations uh, prevents kind of the worst ethical bads and we make kind of sure that we get ways to reward the, uh, the behavior we want, so I think that's a much better approach than hoping for ethical behavior on the part of corporations. Because I think, yeah, I think that wouldn't really 
and we won't really get there anytime soon, even if we want to. And there are some good companies, but these are really, really exceptional. Um, you have yeah, Patagonia, for example, is kind of often the one kind of example of this kind of mm-hmm. we are in it to do good, right? Most others aren't, and I think that's fine. But we have to make sure that we have frameworks for reporting and disclosing information that makes shareholders able to punish those that don't do good, right? That do exceedingly bad things. We have to prevent that in some sense. And that requires information, which brings us to ESG, for example, and those kinds of attempts to kind of quantify and disclose and report on these issues that relate to ethics and the society and the environment, for example. And, and you've said there's there's some lessons to be learned for when we're evaluating AI and applications and, and trying to uh, both hold uh, companies accountable for what they're putting out in the world, but also provide some mechanisms for them to think through and, and be mindful about how they develop, specifically about some of the ESG protocols. You said there is some momentum potentially that that are good lessons learned. So could you tell us some of the lessons learned, you know, from ESG that can be applied in the the case of AI as well? Yeah, I, I, sure. I, I kind of, This is something I'm working on now, which I made what's called kind of the AI ESG protocol, for example. But that's mostly an attempt to kind of fix some of the holes or blind spots in existing frameworks. Because one concern of mine is that you can make an ESG report, kind of check all the boxes and have all the mm-hmm. criteria met, but you're not really dealing with any of the key issues uh, related to the problems generated by AI because they're too non-specific and they often only have these kind of quantitative indicators on very high level and not broken down into kind of the technologies used, activities used and these sorts of things. And you don't really deal with issues of power and structure and all these kind of concerns baked into the SDGs at all. So you can check all the boxes and you can score really high on RESPI and you can fill out your SSB and TSEFT and you can use GRI, all these things without ever having to deal with and really explain uh, the sustainability related impacts of AI. So what I did in one article was look at kind of Google and Microsoft's ESG reporting, sustainability reporting, for example. And they have this part that's quantitative and that's really non-informative in terms of understanding the AI ESG impacts. And then they have this kind of qualitative part where they kind of brag about everything good they're doing. We have this AI for good environment. We share our technology with these and it's really unsystematic and it's too easy to kind of just brag about what you're doing that's good without really having to being forced to disclose information related to the potential negative aspects. So that's what I write about in this AI ESG protocol, an attempt to kind of have this tiered approach to ESG reporting, but you have this one kind of high level where it's applicable to all companies, which goes to overall greenhouse gas emissions, board diversity, and uh, having a purpose in your strategy, all these things that applies to everyone. But then we have a tier two, for example, and tier three level reporting that's more detailed on sector and even kind of activities. So that would be one way I'm looking at potentially solving and approaching these issues, because I think companies using that approach would be able to have better structured information being forced to disclose more of their relevant impacts. In a way, that's, that's good for both them and stakeholders because it's more transparent and it's easier to compare and it's easier to kind of easily understand what's going on in the company, both the risks and the opportunities. So it's markets, markets will reward also kind of those that have good capacities and do good things and have good governance and these sorts of issues. So a market incentive uh, probably even trumps political incentive, right, when it, when it comes to that. Yeah. Now, does this tie it all back to the conversation we started with about the 
risk of over-relying just on what we can quantify. So when you're talking about this, is it safe for us to assume that when we're, we're talking about not just adding additional metrics that we can calculate with, you know, data points you can collect, but adding rigor around the qualitative, qualitative qualifications. I'm having a yeah. uh, bad alliterative morning here, but asking questions that are not necessarily quant- have a quantitative answer that we want you to answer qualitative, but having a template, if you will, or a structure for what questions you want to ask or to respond to? Yeah, exactly. That's exactly the point. And I think what I try to do kind of in that is a tentative approach that kind of just uh, tries to get at the problem. Where I think there's a lot of indicators we could have that's quantitative and that's useful. And that could be used in this kind of when finance companies try to compare a ton of different companies. They want the quantitative stuff. They want the indicators and rankings mm-hmm. and kind of percentages, right? Because they don't have the time to go into all the kind of gory details of all companies. But I think... Um, kind of complementing that with just what you're saying now is what I'm trying to do. To have the key indicators that are qualitative, that requires a short and brief response related to kind of how we're dealing with stuff, where you can find stuff, how we integrate stuff, how we govern, what sort of governance structure we have. Those are non-quantitative stuff, but they don't really require or shouldn't be kind of answered through pages and pages of text either, right? So it's easy to have this kind of middle, middle approach to some of the reporting by just asking the right questions and making it really easy to find the information those interested stakeholders are looking for. And does responding to this or integrating that rigor or or even just the process of asking these questions, does it integrate nicely into existing compliance domains or risk management domains? Is is this a separate ethical domain or is there some some overlap, but some very distinct things when we're talking about AI that we need to to develop. I, I could see this becoming somewhat overwhelming for folks. Mm. So, or, or saying, hey, we do this already in this sort of other context. Yeah. Uh, to kind of, there's a two parts to this answer, because I think uh, the first part would be this, this is meant to integrate very nicely with all existing reporting frameworks. So it's connectable to the GRI metrics, the SASB metrics. So you can just kind of complement existing work on standards, uh, frameworks and standards on reporting and disclosure, for example. But in terms of kind of distinguishing this from other ethical domains, that's also a sort of different question because that relates to kind of AI ethics. Is this really just AI ethics or is this about computing or is this about data or is it about privacy and manipulation? Is it about the dangers of uh, kind of unemployment from automation? So what? That's then. That's a really good question. I think it's really important to just not jumble all this into AI ethics and say that this is just something new that we label AI ethics just because it's kind of the new skids on the block that's really kind of being talked about now. But in terms of making it really easy for companies to do, I think that's really important. And then that ties us back to kind of that these are old concerns. Most of these questions are relatively old concerns. I think it's really easy, kind of important as well to make it relatively actionable. And that requires a lot of more work because I think it's difficult now and different stakeholders need very different approaches. Whereas academic philosophers might write this kind of philosophical treatises on AI and what it does to us. That doesn't really work in a local municipality where stakeholders are contemplating using AI in their decision-making systems. 
And it's not what developers need, for example, when they're developing a new system. So I think there's different need for different stakeholders and kind of trying to make one universal approach here or forcing one approach to everyone would definitely make it overwhelming or underwhelming or kind of, yeah, I think that would be impossible. So I think some pragmatism is required here as well. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how this plays out where we're starting a lot of times with risk and existing mm. approaches to risk management yeah. that are comfortable, well understood, but may limit, again, restrict that view too much in terms of us trying to really anticipate what future implications of, of some of these technologies and applications are, even if they seem relatively innocuous to start. Yeah. But then again, I think it's really, really useful to connect these issues to risk management and seeing risks and opportunities and using the double materiality in order to kind of understand these things. Because I find that as a sustainability consultant, it's much easier conveying the concerns of AI ethicists, for example, through just this kind of new risks, transition risks, climate risks, physical risks, all these sorts of different risks and different opportunities and risks arising from stakeholder demands and requirements and preferences, for example. So I think it's really useful to kind of use these existing frameworks that are working reasonably well already. So I think it's uh, definitely possible and very useful to use this different. So that's why I try to connect it at times to ESG and all those things that's already being done. Because I think making just this new thing, another thing, a completely different thing, just for understanding AI impacts wouldn't really make sense. Or at least it would make it a lot less accessible, I think. And certainly less palatable for, for organizations. Mm. So what advice or or immediate steps would you recommend for organizations and, and maybe even for individuals who are looking to level up both their understanding and awareness of issues, for instance, those that relate to SDG or, or ESG for AI, both in terms of literacy and, and improving that and starting to take the first steps to making this actionable. I don't mean that in a litigious sense. I mean in a uh, making this operational. Yeah. I guess the kind of silly answer would be to read uh, the book on AI and uh, <laughs> AI and the sustainable fair. development goal, but that, that would be kind of a very accessible start because that's a short book dealing with all the SDGs and kind of the potential impacts of AI. Uh, but there are definitely other sources out there and a lot of people are writing about this. So I think that would be a good, decent way to start, I guess. But then kind of mapping as well, if we're talking about the business sense, and I think that's most interesting right now because it's kind of in the general public that's just interested, they can read about whatever concerns them, I think. But when businesses are trying to kind of deal with this, they can have a look at kind of what are our capabilities in terms of gathering data, developing the software, kind of using software, what sort of activities do we have, and kind of what are our capacities, and then trying to map out these different potential activities in relation to, for example, the SDGs, I think that could be a useful and very easy exercise to just start contemplating. Okay, we're doing these things here. This relates to kind of this inequality aspects, for example. This relates to health, definitely. But what could be the downsides to this? So I think it's relatively easy, uh, but it's also kind of definitely beneficial to get someone that's a little bit experienced with working with these things and how the terms are used, for example, kind of what this means and implies. Of course, get some someone to help in that process if you want to, but I think it's just useful to kind of get the board together and do this anyway, or get some different levels of the organization together would be my benefit, the kind of advice, definitely, to get some technical people, get some of the strategic people together and discuss 
for example, through the SDGs, because that could be just a tool for making it easier to sort and have some talking points and doing these sorts of things. And then when you run into issues related to kind of, okay, this could be a potential impact, then you can start reading up on the kind of details and the different things. That could be an easy way to start at least. And, and, and it has the benefit of being discrete. There's a set of categories. You can say, yes, this category would apply or wouldn't apply, move on to the next one. Yeah. This might apply, then look down the level and use it almost, I mean, not to, uh, someone may think this is, is using this somewhat informally, but even just as a form of inspiring critical thinking and brainstorming yeah. way up front in, in the process. So Yeah. And I think that wouldn't necessarily become kind of a state-of-the-art sustainability report or kind of you have to develop that further, of course, and you have to get some assistance if you're not really familiar with what these things need. But as a start, I think it's good. And I think it's really important to understand that this is not just a precautionary measure and trying to make sure you don't do anything wrong, right? Because this is a really good way to identify opportunities, uh, both for developing new things and doing new things, but also to communicate what you're already doing. And a lot of people are discovering that through this process that, oh, we're actually doing a lot of good stuff that we didn't really know or that we couldn't really communicate. So it's really useful in that process as well. Excellent. So use it to identify new opportunities and to highlight the, the, the ones you may be working on that the rest of us are not yet aware of. Uh, yeah. That's fantastic. Well, thank you, Henrik. I really appreciate you sharing your insights into how both SDG and ESG can be used to positively guide our collective journey with AI. Uh, really enjoyed the conversation and, and hope we can get you back. Thank you very much, Kimberly. It's a pleasure being here. Excellent. All right. Now, in our next episode, Chris McLean, uh, who is the global lead for digital ethics at Avanade, joins us to talk about, you likely guessed it, uh, digital ethics. So he's going to share his perspectives on trust and why we must all think beyond ourselves in the age of AI. Subscribe now so you don't miss it.